Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Can't get enough revenue intelligence through Reveal? Well, good news. Gong is gearing up for our annual conference. Yes, the big one. Celebrate 20, the Revenue Intelligence Summit. It's going to be on October 14th, and it's 100% virtual, so you can join us from anywhere in the world. We have some amazing speakers like negotiations expert Chris Voss, best-selling author Sheena Iyengar. No, not this Sheena. And executives from Drift, Outreach, Gong, and more. Reserve your seat today at celebrate.gong.io. So, Sheena, do you know what the definition of a millennial really is? So I think it sometimes varies. It depends on what source you get that information from. True. But for the most part, I think it's roughly like 25 to 40-ish. If you're in that age range, um, you would be considered a millennial. Am I right? You're right, according to the single source that I looked up, which was admittedly the first thing on Google. So I didn't put a ton <laughs> of I didn't put a ton of research in this part, but yeah, it appears uh, you know pretty much you were born around 1980, 1981, uh, all the way up to about 95, 96. Uh, that that's a millennial. Now that's the technical definition by age, but I think there's also like how do you tell if someone's a millennial? I, I guess it's like if you have Instagram, maybe if you have a Snapchat, you're probably definitely a millennial. I I, I, I say this with jest. I have no idea how, how to tell what a, a quote unquote true millennial is if there really is such a thing. Yeah, there are a lot of stereotypes. Like, do you drink Lacroix twenty four seven? Do you like White Claw? Yes. Uh, is kombucha your drink of choice? I don't. I, those are all drink examples that I yeah. gave. But that's all I could think of. <laughs> Which is fair, and that's. I think that's what kind of was fun about the conversation today with Rocky was. You know, there's there's like the definition of what a millennial is. And then if you ask anyone, you know, you get these different, uh, you know, these stereotypes, right? You, yeah. you drink certain things, you, you, you know, I don't know, you have social, certain social media accounts, according to my example. And so what was really cool and enlightening in talking to Rocky was her really breaking down the misconceptions around what a millennial is, and especially in the workplace. Yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. And she is a great person to shed light on this and have a conversation with because she has hired over 2,000 SDRs as part of her role when she was at Microsoft. Um, and having those interactions, having to recruit primarily millennials in those roles um, has given her a ton of perspective and, of course, herself being a millennial. Yeah. And not only 2000, one extra addition to that 2000, over 2000 people in three years. Yes. Which is, I didn't even bother doing the math. It's just too many interviews. I have no idea how that happens, but yeah, <laughs> it, it was great to, to talk to her. She, she really breaks down, you know, um, advice for, like I said, the misconceptions, but also for those looking to 
um, hire, recruit, and retain this type of talent. So, um, yeah, I found it really, really interesting. And uh, let's go ahead and get into the interview. Well, Rocky, we are so excited to have you on Reveal. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And Rocky, just for some context, is currently the, a director at IBM, specifically focused on global digital sales development. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation, conversation specifically focused on advice for millennials and for managers who are managing millennials. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about your personal background. And I heard that your first business as a kid was a lemonade stand, uh, but apparently you've approached it differently than uh, kind of the traditional approach. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, the story of my lemonade stand. You know, a lot of people have asked me about this lately, I think because I recently talked about it in a documentary. So it's becoming a pretty defining story of my childhood, I guess. But um, basically, I think when I was around seven or eight years old, I had a lemonade stand in my neighborhood, as you described. A lot of kids do this. So very typical summer activity. But um, I, you know, even at a young age, I guess sales was sort of within my blood, or at least my family jokes that it was, because what I did is instead of having my lemonade stand on the street corner parked, I decided to have a mobile one. So I had a little red wagon, and I basically made my lemonade stand on that. And instead of staying in one location, I would take it around in my neighborhood, specifically on hot days, and I would park it in front of houses that were having construction because you could see, uh, you know, the construction workers outside or people who were working inside. And I thought that would be a good way for me to optimize my profits if I was going around to all of those people within the neighborhood versus staying in the same place because they'd be outside working in the hot sun. I assume they'd be thirsty. Um, and it's funny because I would come home every day with a big wad of cash and my family would be like, where did you get this? And I would compare it to the money that my friends would make from their lemonade stands during the day. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, at a, at a young age, I sort of had figured out how to optimize my profits, I suppose. And that's just something that, as I guess, uh, served me well throughout my career as I've been involved in sales, uh, basically from the beginning of my career. That's awesome. So it sounds like not just a sales, you've, you've had that sales bug in you, but an entrepreneurial one as well. And if you're that ahead of the game at that age, I, I imagine if that story had continued, you you eventually absorb those other lemonade stands, build out this large franchise across the neighborhood, and everyone's got to buy your lemonade by the end of the year. <laughs> that that would definitely would have been the smart approach. <laughs> and you also recently wrote an article in Forbes about some leadership lessons uh, that you've learned from your mom. And she sounds like an amazing person after reading the article. Can you tell us a little bit more about her and how she influenced you and your career? Yeah, she is. So I um, I grew up with a single mom, two older sisters. They were seven and 10 years older than me, so quite a bit older. Um, my dad wasn't really in the picture. He wasn't <clears throat> since I was about three years old. And so um, I kind of had to grow up at a pretty young age, but I had a chance to be raised by three really powerful, strong women. And so I feel really grateful for that. But my mom in particular, um, she just has a really incredible story because she was an Indian immigrant. Um, she had to, you know, raise me and my two sisters alone. This kind of happened overnight, but she just figured it out. And uh, you know, there was actually a time where she was working multiple jobs at once. And despite that, she 
has always just kind of worked to create change in her community. Even when we faced hardships and setbacks, uh, she still gave back to her community and was always uh, wanting to strengthen her business acumen and was involved in a variety of different civic and economic and cultural boards and things like that. Um, and over the years, I mean, she she now runs her own company. She's the CEO. She speaks at conferences all over the world. She has even served as an advisor to the U.S. government. So she's um, basically done just a lot of things in her life and has achieved this as an immigrant while single-handedly raising us. And I think what was so impactful about my childhood was because we didn't really have childcare, and my sisters were much older than me and went to college and everything, I would accompany her to a lot of those things she went to in the evenings um, whenever she was involved in these various business initiatives. And um, it was interesting for me because although at the time I was so young and, you know, probably didn't like it having to sit in the corner coloring and eating my McDonald's Happy Meal or whatever, um, I, you know, I was still observing. And I think that experiential training has been some of the best of my life, just seeing how she was able to navigate through really difficult situations, sometimes being the only woman um, at a table at many times and negotiating and persuading, influencing at the highest levels, typically in male-dominated environments. So that has um, really deeply impacted my drive, I think my passion for elevating women. Um, And I've just learned so much from her on the importance of grit and relationships and discipline and kindness. And um, her experience has also shown me that I think um, women can do anything. That's phenomenal. I love that story. And, and, and I love that the, the exposure that you got, both seeing your mom in action doing those things, but also, like you said, a female role model ha- had to have, you know, kind of uh, set the bar, but also kind of pave a path for you as well in your career. Yep. And, you know, it's amazing to have that type of role model immediate, like right in your family and to look up to her every each and every single day. And now probably as an adult, you're able to look back on that and really see the impact how do you think about that impact that it had on your life and how you want to take that and, and give that back to the world? That's a great question. So, I mean, I, I think about that a lot. And, you know, what I learned from my mom is kind of just lift while you climb, pay it forward, bring people along the way. Um, and I think just investing in people at a young age is so important. So I don't have kids yet. I would like to one day, but I think about my childhood a lot and the fact that uh, when I do have kids, I want to absolutely make sure I'm giving them same amount of exposure and opportunities to learn and grow. Because even if they are just like me sitting in the corner, not saying a word, they're taking in a lot more than I think um, they realize at the time. Um, and I think especially now with so many people working from home as a result of the pandemic and everything, it is giving a lot of working parents the opportunity to do something similar Um, And I was recently with my sister's kids who are one and four years old a few months ago. And um, I adopted some of the principles I learned from my mom. I had my four-year-old niece, you know, sometimes sitting on my lap while I was on video calls and, um, you know, just giving her a chance to see what a conference call is like. And it, it was funny. I mean, she wanted to learn how to type and she wanted to go on a call and she wanted to have her little notebook and her to-do list. And so uh, I think it's just, it's really important, I guess, as, you know, parents or anybody who has experience with young kids, giving them some of those opportunities to learn and grow. Yeah, 100%. I think this, uh, you know, these times have 
you know, it's given more exposure to children to see what parents actually do on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's very interesting. So you're, you're really passionate about hiring for diversity, whether it's gender or people who have different backgrounds and generations. What assumptions do you see younger people making today that they really shouldn't? The biggest assumption I see people newer to the workforce making is thinking that their lack of experience is a negative. Um, I think there's a tendency for young people to get imposter syndrome, especially in environments where so many people are a lot more senior than them. And my advice is, I mean, don't don't assume that your lack of experience means that you can't add value. In fact, that's your differentiating factor and perhaps why you were hired for the job. It's to think differently and to push others to think differently. So as I think about back on my own career, um, you know, I joined Microsoft straight out of graduate school. It was my first official job I had ever had outside of internships, 22 years old, working with a lot of people who had 10 plus years of experience, many of which were men because technology and sales are both sale, male dominated arenas. And my profile was quite different than theirs. And over time, I mean, I've, I've become used to being the only woman in the room or the only non-white person in the room because my family's Indian, uh, the only millennial in the room, and sometimes all of those things at once. And I think there have been times where I've actually even been encouraged by people to hide my age, to gain more credibility, or, um, you know, maybe act a little bit more like a man because it is such a male-dominated industry. But I don't subscribe to the notion that you need to change who you are to be able to fit in, but encourage you to take all of those qualities that make you unique and use them to actually drive the business forward. And I just have always tried to keep that in the back of my mind. Anytime um, I feel like, you know, maybe do I, do I deserve to be here? Do I have the experience to be here? You just have to shut out those negative thoughts in your head and remind yourself that somewhere somebody believed that you would add value. And so because of that, um, you got to think about where, where you can deliver some of those insights. And for me, I mean, especially um, being newer to the workforce at many points in my career compared to my peers, it's given me a chance to help invent innovative processes and to look at the business a little bit differently than maybe some of my more seasoned peers will do. So I think, you know, it's just important to kind of brush any of those negative thoughts coming to your mind aside. Don't make those assumptions. And similarly, for leaders who um, have younger employees on their team, similar to how my mom did, I mean, make sure you're giving them a seat at the table and invite them to participate in the strategic change initiatives and transformation efforts, not just the entry level work, because you might be surprised what kind of um, insights come out of that by having kind of a more diverse set of people working on big problems. And Rocky, I didn't ask you this up front, but um, I think it would be helpful to add a little bit of context on the teams that you have managed and what those look like. It seems like, of course, you've worked with a lot of uh, millennials, what we'd categorize as millennials in the past, but could you give a little bit of color on that? Yes. So basically today at IBM, I manage a global team that's responsible for the strategy, implementation, and revenue of the digital sales development function at IBM. So we have a few hundred uh, sellers within this organization. They're responsible for client engagement, deal progression, closing select deals. I've been at IBM for about a year and a half, but was previously at Microsoft where I spent about seven years in various roles at the company And in my last role there, I helped Microsoft build a new inside sales force as the chief of staff to the corporate vice president for that team. So we actually hired about 2,000 inside sellers in under three years. I was one of the first employees. 
Um, so I'm really passionate about building and growing high performing teams and especially about advancing millennials and also women in business. Um, um, because I, you know, I have experience hi- hiring and also leading some pretty heavy millennial organizations. And then, of course, um, I should also mention I'm a millennial myself. So I certainly don't claim to be an expert on millennials, but being one myself, I'm always happy to share my perspective on how to attract and recruit this population and, and definitely have some personal experiences just kind of building and leading organizations with pretty heavy millennial populations. All right, everyone, in every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Think that millennials are just into fancy perks and foosball tables? You may be surprised to learn that many young, younger people are much more interested in job stability, training, and long-term development. According to the 2020 Deloitte Global Millennial Survey, the number of millennials who said that they want to stay with their employers for five or more years increased from 28% to 35%. And the number of those who would leave in two years or less dropped from 49 to 31%. There was also a 12-point drop in the number of millennials who think they possess some, but not all of the skills and knowledge required for long-term success. Clearly, this generation sees the need to invest in their future and will be looking for employers that can help them do that. Stay tuned to the micro-action at the end of the interview for ideas on how to attract more millennials to your team. 2,000 inside salespeople in three years is is the, the largest number I've ever heard, the largest amount of scale from anyone we've, we've spoken to. Is that kind of where this, um, I guess, like your pr- approach and your strategy for also recruiting millennials stemmed from? Yes, absolutely. Um, and you're right. I mean, it was incredible growth and also a really cool opportunity to kind of build a startup within a big uh, corporate enterprise. Um, and yeah, a lot of my, my passions in these arenas stem from that because we were under pressure to hire quickly. And in those instances, we wanted to get the best and the brightest. And oftentimes, in order to have a really high-performing sales team, you need diversity. And it's not just culturally, but you need diversity of thought, age, background, perspective, gender. And unfortunately, um, not all of those populations come to you. You have to take the extra step and go the extra mile to be able to attract them. And so, you know, when we were hiring some of those people, unfortunately, uh, we weren't getting a lot of women applicants, for example. And so you have to really think about how do you recruit from non-traditional sources, make sure that you are demonstrating that sales and technology is a place where women can succeed and grow and that it's a worthwhile profession and all of that. So that definitely my experiences stem from that. But I think now being at IBM, um, definitely not growing a team at that level of scale, but now I'm thinking about how we optimize a sales team. So how do we take it to the next level, simplify it, modernize it, evolve the function and once again, core to that is making sure um, you have a diverse group of people. Absolutely. I, I'm curious for your take on, you know, it sounds like, you know, coaching and mentoring is kind of, uh, you know, part of your approach. Do you have any advice for leaders who are listening who want to, I guess, like enable or empower is probably a better word, their millennials and their staff today, right? Because you had mentioned a lot of these objections, these mental objections that millennials have entering the workforce or, you know, as they kind of climb the ladder, what are some of the ways that you've built confidence and empower these, these young professionals to, you know, kind of, I guess, get out of their own way mentally, but then also, you know, enable them to reach their fullest potential? 
Well, I think first of all, you have to give them chances to learn the business. Um, and, and that's something I've been really grateful to have early on in my career and in my life, as, as you've heard. But, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell a personal story. I remember when I was chief of staff to that corporate vice president at Microsoft, um, you know, it was a situation that came about because I had gotten some exposure to her because I was one of the first employees on the team. And then she invited me to work for her directly. And it was a job that I know I wouldn't have been qualified for on paper if I had just kind of applied through the system. But I, it was kind of a situation where it was right time, right place, had a chance to sort of demonstrate my value. And she was willing to take a chance on me. Um, and one of the experiences I have with her, I remember when I was, you know, first starting that job and I was getting a lot of very, very senior exposure. And I'm talking like, you know, senior executives at Microsoft. And at the time, I think I was 25 years old. I was the youngest person working for a corporate vice president directly at the company. And, um, you know, there were times where I was in meetings and I didn't always feel like I was adding value because I was still learning and I wasn't saying a whole lot. And so I remember there was one time where I told her, oh, you know, for this meeting, maybe I'll just dial in from my desk. And she stopped me and she said, no, you're coming with me because most people your age don't get this kind of experience and you should never turn it down. And she also said, I don't care if you're sitting in the meeting and you don't say a word you should just listen, you should absorb. And what I really appreciated about that was first, it was kind of her way of telling me to get out of my own way. Um, second, it was her way of saying, I took a chance on you. Like now I expect you to, to really roll up your sleeves and go all in. Um, and then third, it was kind of her way of saying, um, just take advantage of every opportunity, seize the opportunities to learn but what was most um, most appreciated was the fact that she kind of gave me room. Um, she gave me room to be okay with not adding value. And I think that was the best thing she could have possibly done as a leader. Um, if she had put pressure on me to, you know, if you're going to be here, we expect you to say something, it would have had a completely different effect. But just the fact that she kind of gave me room to learn and grow at my own pace, um, I just really appreciate that. And it's a leadership quality that I think I've tried to take forward myself too. I had kind of a, a similar story along those lines <laughs> where I was also sitting, uh, you know, invited to be as part of meetings where I was in the room with very experienced uh, venture capitalists. It was the first time that I was in the room interacting with those type of folks. And I felt out of place that I did not have that value to add. And I had a really great interaction um, and recommendation from my uh, CEO and manager at that time, which was, let's define what your role is before we go into the meeting. And you'll feel so much more comfortable to know what you're going to go in and specifically focus on so that it makes it easier for you to raise your voice in the room. <clears throat> and I think that uh, that uh, you know perspective from him, his ability to kind of hold my hand and, and let's plan and strategize before we go into the meeting was extremely valuable and made me feel so much more comfortable in the room. Yeah, and I think it, it's a tendency that women have a lot of compared to men in particular. We we tend to hold ourselves back. We are our own barrier to success sometimes, and we opt out of situations that we shouldn't be. I mean, I even think about women's um, applications to jobs. I mean, so many people have probably heard the HP study from a few years ago where women only apply for roles when they uh, meet 100% of the qualifications, whereas men apply even when they only meet 60% of the qualifications. 
And we see so much of that time and time again. And so oftentimes, I mean, you just, you need to surround yourself with people, leaders, managers who are going to push you to get out of your comfort zone. And then you've also got to find ways to, to be confident. And I truly believe that confidence is a skill like anything else. It can be harnessed, it can be developed, it can be practiced, um, but it really, it takes you taking that first step and making sure you're surrounded by, by good people who will call you out. Love it. Confidence as a skill. Definitely, definitely true. (laughs) You need to practice it. So for leaders who are looking to attract more diverse range of, you know, ages, backgrounds, what are the biggest difference in the recruiting process itself when it comes to millennials compared to recruiting for, I guess, more experienced talent? Well, first of all, I think it's important to get educated on the profile of millennials and what's important to them. So as I said, I mean, I I don't claim to be an expert, but I am one myself. I have experience hiring them. Um, So a few things I'll say on on the background of millennials. First of all, there isn't some code that needs to be cracked. I think people and companies tend to over-engineer us. And they think we're this secret puzzle or enigma waiting to be figured out. But we're just another set of people who were raised in a time where there was a huge influx of technology and opportunities. Um, But but when you look at the profile, I mean, interestingly, 25 percent of us grew up in single family households. Seventy five percent of us grew up with working mothers. Um, I'm one of the people who falls under both of those buckets. So I think our upbringing shapes our perceptions of the world and also our ambitions But um, Deloitte puts out a really robust millennial study each year with some great insights into millennial populations. And one thing that I've always found interesting is their section on the most valued work benefits, which ties in uh, really importantly with recruiting, because oftentimes I think companies assume in the recruiting process, you got to focus on the fun things with millennials. They think millennials just want to have fun and they want to travel and they want beanbags in the office and free snacks and ping pong tables. And don't get me wrong, all of those things are fun. But actually the data from Deloitte year over year suggests that those are not the most valued things. What is, is training and development, flexible working hours, cash bonuses, healthcare, retirement options. I think those last two are probably not what you would expect. Um, but what's funny is that those things I just described, they're probably the same things that previous generations wanted too. So I think it's important to highlight um, those things that are actually important to millennials as evidenced by numerous studies that take place across millennials and Gen Z and everything. And then in your recruiting process, Make sure you're showcasing those things Um, and also the diversity of your organization, because one of the things that came up in the article as well is around how millennials care most about the people that they work with. In fact, they care more about that over the job itself. They want to be surrounded by people with diverse experiences. So really important, obviously, to make sure that you're you're harnessing the power of all the different types of people that you have in your organization and that that's front and center in your recruiting process. And uh, part of that is even as simple as making sure you're uh, careers website shows that um, and you know make sure that when you have pictures of people in your organization everything from an optics perspective matters throughout the recruiting process and the people who are actually interviewing them um, are they all uh, you know my men for example on the interview panel do you have women in there do you have black people do you have brown people young old that gives uh, millennials kind of a sense of what the organization is like. 
Yeah, that's a great point about the the uh, interview panel itself, right? You start to get those first uh, points of contact with the company and you kind of see uh, a reflection of the whole. The other thing I thought was interesting is, uh, and you touched on it when, when you think about the differences between millennials uh, and the generation before is that introduction of technology. It's not that the generation before doesn't use that technology. I think just the fact that the, you know, the way we were introduced to it does start to, you know, provide some of those misconceptions that you mentioned before, because I can promise you, I definitely care more about healthcare than I do about, you know, foosball tables and beanbag chairs. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Me too. <laughs> So let's take a look at the flip side now, um, you know, for the, for the millennials that are thinking through their careers. Um, a lot of the soft and hard skills that we develop, they actually come from experience. So for people who are in their 20s, what recommendations do you have for them as they're strategizing um, and thinking about their own career development? Yes. Well, I think, you know, career development is obviously one of the most important things and you got to do it right away. Um, the thing that's tough, I think, sometimes for millennials is they're inundated with career advice, and sometimes a lot of it's conflicting. Like people tell you, be regimented about your career plan, but don't over-engineer it. Make good friends at work, but make sure you have work-life balance. And so I think, you know, companies are just becoming so increasingly matrix that it's hard sometimes to even tell which way is up. But there are a few things that come to mind for me that I would recommend based on my experience. The first one is nix the concept of a career ladder. Uh, I think just the traditional concept of a linear career path, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, Cheryl Sandberg from, from Facebook, she talks about careers as a jungle gym, not a ladder. And I love that because there is no surefire path to success. Um, and so that's why it's so important to develop your skills and experiences instead of focusing on the job itself. Think about what are the competencies you want to build, the experiences you want to have and, and the skills that you want to gain. Um, and, and that can sometimes be done within the same company. It might mean making a leap, but really just understanding what your short and long term goals are and, and then building a plan on how to get there. Um, Secondly, you know, we touched on this already, so I won't go too deep into it, but I think it's just take advantage of all the qualities that make you unique. Don't shy away from them. Use them to your advantage. Offer a fresh perspective if you're newer and make sure that you are speaking up and giving your input on, on what you think could be done differently. Um, and then also I would suggest, you know, make sure that you're demonstrating clear and measurable results. I think it's easier to do this in some jobs like sales where it's clear what your accountabilities are, but it's sometimes harder in maybe marketing where you might not see an immediate or tangible impact. But regardless, it's so important to get into the habit of documenting and, and measuring your impact and progress. Um, you know, the Harvard Business Review, actually, they offer really great guidance on how to set objectives and milestones and all of that. So so that's a good avenue. And then finally, I would just say, you know, don't sacrifice your happiness for a job, but find a job that, that brings you happiness. Um, and I think that really is the most important thing. I've been so fortunate to work at two companies that didn't force me to leave my passions at home we spend so much time at work. We should make sure that we actually are getting meaning out of it, that we're enjoying it, that we're loving the people that we're working with. So so think about what is most important for you and how you can exercise some of your personal interests and passions at work and, and feel like you can really bring yourself to work and explore your own curiosities. 
so many great nuggets in in that what you just explained i love the jungle gym description like that is exactly what my career path has looked like it has not been a ladder by any means um you know shifting to different functions um exploring different opportunities and especially when you're getting started with your career you don't necessarily know the differences you know even if you look at sales within sales it's such a, a broad space where you can you know work on, you know you could be in the inbound sales function you could be doing sales strategy you could be doing operations enablement and each one of those requires such unique and different skills that as an entry level uh professional you don't have that uh, understanding so giving yourself that freedom to move in different directions is so so critical that's a great point too cuz if you think about it we we let that um level of flexibility for for college kids you know oh you know you don't it doesn't matter if you don't know exactly what you want to major in you kind of figure it out as you go but really, and then, you know, you get to the career and it's like, but by now you got to figure it out, you know, pick, you know, I think there's kind of like that stigma of pick a lane and, and kind of go, go north if you are up the ladder. But just like you said, Gina, my career was the exact same way. And it's validating to, to kind of hear from others that it's not a, you know, it's not a straight path that you, you can jump around in, in my case, from going to be a teacher in college to customer success in technology to sales and now to marketing. And, and I like what you said too, Rocky, because it's really about finding a place where, you know, you, you feel like you belong and that your, you know, personal characteristics and, you know, just your traits and your passions can all fit in your professional life as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think your point about the variety and experiences, the companies that are going to win with millennials are the ones that offer those experiences. And we're often referred to as the job hopping generation, and we want to take on horizontal challenges while growing vertically. And I think um, that's kind of one of the beauties of working at a big corporation sometimes, too. So, I mean, I've worked at two of the biggest tech companies, Microsoft and IBM. But one of the reasons is because I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. Um, and, and so I liked the idea of working at a big company because it offered a lot of options and experiences. I knew if I started in sales and I hated it, I could go into marketing or finance. And for me, I've kind of sort of created a liberal arts experience for myself in the working world. Um, and, and I've sort of tried to build what, what a lot of people call a portfolio career and just having all the different tools within my tool belt, because I know one day I want to be, um, you know, working in the C-suite of a company. And so I need to have sales and business development and finance and marketing and all of those skills in my tool belt. And I think that's really celebrated a lot at big companies and also smaller ones. So as you're going uh, if you're a company trying to recruit millennials, that's another important tactic to make sure you're mentioning all of the different options and experiences and the jungle gym that your company offers. Terrific. So, uh, Raki, we like to ask everyone on our show the exact same question to end the show, but we oftentimes get very different answers. So I would love to know from you, how would you describe sales in one word? Ooh, Creative. I would say creative because I think crafting a deal is an art and a science. Um, and a lot of times people think sales might be repetitive if you're just day in and day out cold calling. But the beauty of sales is that it changes over time. And depending on the type of person you're talking to, it might be a CFO, it might be a HR leader, it might be an operations person, every deal requires you to pivot to leverage a lot of creative skills um, to communicate effectively and to just sort of 
to design um, a deal in a different way. So I think you got to exercise a lot of creativity. And as I think about bringing um, different people onto my team, that's one of the things that I look most for is people who are curious and who are agile and have the ability to, to leverage those different skill sets and creatively tackle different problems that clients are trying to figure out. There you have it. And no day in uh, sales is the same, especially when you start to sell uh, complex deals. You know, as, as you get to larger, more complex deals, none of them are, are, are twins. They're, they're all quite different. Well, Rocky, this has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you for uh, your sharing your experiences, your advice. Um, we definitely thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So how do you get the best and brightest millennials to join your team? Here are some ideas for building the type of culture younger workers are looking for. Create an environment where they can learn the business, grow at their own pace, build confidence, and add value. Focus on inclusion and build a team where everyone feels comfortable just being themselves. Offer the kind of environment and benefits millennials care about. Things like a diverse culture, training and development, flexible working hours, and multiple career tracks. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.